Anchor. You can just submit things on there now. So they can go to Anchor and submit stuff to us? They can submit stuff to us, and we can respond to it. Uh, and it's free. It costs nothing, which is pretty sick. Uh, because before, we were just dumping money into a site that would, you know, hold it ransom. I literally had to pay a different site. I had to pay to get in to download our stuff to put it on Anchor. Really? Yeah, I had to pay uh, like $15 because I let it expire to just get our stuff off and put it up on Anchor. And Anchor will never do that. So, all right. Yeah, we just get it all the time. Do you, do you have the app on there? Can we respond through the app? Yeah, you can download the app. You can respond to the things through there. You can edit your podcast through there. You can like you can record it so you can take it to your friend's house and just record it through your phone and post huh. it instantly. And and anyone that eventually chooses to contact us can contact us through there too. So that's Yeah, you can contact us through there. I like that you can uh it, you just put it on there and it puts it on like Spotify and iTunes and Google for you. I don't know. It's made it a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah. We were, how many hours a week were you putting into like making sure everything got published before? Do you, do you remember? Um, I mean, not a lot of time, but enough time that it's, you know, it's nice having anchor because it's just easier. Okay. See, and this is a switch that I was told about last time, but I, I didn't know that uh, we could communicate with an actual fan base through it. I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, and there's advertisements. Yeah. Don't forget about that. You don't even have to have any listeners. So. Yeah. Um, they, well, yeah, they say it increases. Um, hello, 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 hello. Hello. We good? Yeah, we're on. This is... Uh, Quick shot discussions. Episode number two, bitches. Yeah, that's weird, man. Uh, metabol I guess I just haven't really worried about it. And maybe that's just me being young and stupid. But everyone's like that at some point. Like, you can eat what you want, do pretty much what you want, and you don't gain weight. But uh, I, I'm very aware now that there's going to be a point where it's going to I'm going to hit a wall and it's going to be significantly more challenging. Yeah. It's like a switch gets hit for sure. Um, like I said, for me, it was around 25, 26 <clears throat> and okay. I, I just, uh, couldn't pound food the way I used to and have it go away as fast. Yeah. Like being able to process the energy fast enough. Right. And it's like, for me, especially, I noticed when I gained the most weight, when I was like really into bodybuilding and on steroids and everything, and I got off, my metabolism still wanted food, but it wasn't being processed as fast, so I, or processed as fast, so it, it got stored like yeah. really fast, and I gained like 40 pounds. Yep. Um, but I mean, that, and then th that just tells me that's a hormonal thing too. Like, I bet you a lot of it has to do with testosterone declining too. Mm -hmm. They say once you get around 28 to 35 is when you can start doing TRT, and supposedly that helps a shit ton with keeping weight off. Yeah. I'm just preferring to modify my diet at this point. Yeah, that's for sure the best. And that's going to help me the, the best in the long run anyway because got to watch out for that cholesterol and yeah, don't want to be like hypertensive and diabetic and stuff like that. 
Have you, uh, you, you said you have like knee problems. You have knee problems, shoulder problems, all the above. Uh, I have some pretty bad knee issues and I have, uh, like my shoulder is a little off, but it's not like a, it's chronic cause it's been there for years, but it's not as bad as my knees are. Okay. Is it like a uh, temperature based? Like if it gets cold, it's stiffer with my legs yeah um or joints in general i guess i notice it more um in the winter months for sure but the the thing that i notice it the most is um if i wind up happen to be on my feet and i didn't plan for it yeah and so like i'm not wearing the orthotics in my in in the shoes i chose to wear that day uh, and then I wind up having to walk like a a bunch for for work or whatever. Then then that's when it really builds up. That's when it really hits me like really hard. Yeah. I wish I wish I could afford uh, uh, stem cell treatment for certain parts, like especially my shoulder. Uh, I've heard like incredible stories from athletes, but the problem is is even if you repair that soft tissue, if you continue working out like a madman, you just tear it again. Yeah. So I, f- I feel yep. like stem cell w- for me is going to be later in life. Like hope, you know, hopefully I'll be able to afford it, but hopefully they clear it by the time you uh, yeah, yeah, get yeah. old enough to benefit from it. I guess someone up uh, in at the edge of Washington and Canada does it. And they're extremely, they're like, they're not only stem cell, but they're also a hormonal balancing doctor, I guess. And Endocrinologist. Yeah. 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 There you go. And, uh, Oh yeah, it sounds like a dream, but shit, man, it's expensive. Yeah, well, you're paying for that guy to pay off his what? Probably five hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt. Probably, probably. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, like we 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 need people out there like that, but it it does come at a price, you know. Yeah. And I even having the GI bill and everything, I'm still probably looking at. <clears throat> 60 grand by the time I get out of school okay. for what I want to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it uh yeah, it adds up a shit ton. I have about 5 grand in student debt and I only have 10 credits. Something stupid. Yeah, it's expensive as shit. It's definitely a problem. Yeah. And my my degree just my degree pipeline just changed from needing a master's to needing a doctorate. So what are you doing now, or what if you? Well, it's still the same thing that I want to do. I want to be a nurse practitioner and work alongside of uh, somebody that like an epidemiologist, somebody that does infectious disease type work. And that was just a master's degree um, up until about two and a half weeks ago. And so is it, I'm how, not grandfathered in because I'm not far enough along in the program yet. That's so dumb. So how much more school is that then? Um, I'm probably looking at six more years after uh, th- this one that I finish up now. That's ridiculous. When I was doing, uh, when I was gonna do physical therapy, the physical therapists, I guess, they're in super demand right now. So you have you changed their master's program to a doctorate program, but it was still right out. So you do. Your four years of undergrad, and then you go directly into the three years of. At the end of that three years, you're, it's a you're a doctor of physical therapy. 
Right. But it used to be a master's of physical therapy, but it's the same amount of school. I guess they're just so depleted of them right now. Well, it's it's not just that. It's uh, you you have to examine academia overall. I mm-hmm. think because, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, if you look at fifty years ago, yeah. sixty years ago. Um, hell, almost 70 years ago, uh, like the initial NASA program, yeah, that was run by bachelor's degrees. Really? I didn't know the that. The highest guy there, um, like working with those teams, like the team leader, yeah, was a master's degree guy. Okay. They probably had a couple of doctorates, but now it's all doctorates, right? Yeah. And that's the expectation if you want to go into that field. Okay. And so um, part of it is is somebody wants to be competitive, so they go that that extra mile, which is a good thing. But um, enough people go that extra mile, mm-hmm. it sets a new precedent. And now that precedent for a physical therapist, which was a master's degree just a few years ago, is now a doctorate degree almost at every hospital wow. in the United States. And it's turning that way for occupational therapists as well. Wow. I, uh, that's insane, man. It's a lot of schooling. Yeah. And I mean, like it, <clears throat> it doesn't really, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, the difference between masters and doctorate is, if, if I'm correct in thinking this, if I'm wrong, can let me know somehow. We'll get an email set up for this eventually. Uh, but I believe it's uh, cheap shot discussions at gmail.com. There already there. Go. It's already up. So uh, I believe it's uh, whether or not your thesis gets published okay. in a peer reviewed journal. And. Okay. Um, the amount of research that you have to do alongside that because you do have to do a thesis for a master's, but you also do have to do a thesis for a doctorate. And I just think it's the publication that changes. Gotcha. Um, and the level of work required to get a, pu- a like to get your thesis published is just Herculean. At least in a, in a doctorate program, you're working towards something like you're studying towards something or like actively trying to accomplish something like it's more than learning the basics. Right, and well, and with a doctorate program, if somebody has that PhD or MD next to their name, mm-hmm. that is a university signing off on you, saying that you have done significant research in that field, okay. essentially, or have been part of a research team in that field. So it's not a light thing to get a doctorate degree. Like right. you, you get that by having done a significant amount of research and work and that degree says like I'm a specialist in this versus like a master's degree you're 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 more specialized uh than most yeah but you don't necessarily have that publication in the research background part of it gotcha it you might have worked on a team but you don't get recognized in it yeah okay that makes sense I uh I really like that that presidential candidate I've been talking to you about, Yang. He wants to restructure the entire medical field and how education is even administered for doctors. He believes that 
general practitioners should not have to go through the same amount of schooling as a specialist just to refer somebody. Like if, if a general practitioner, just a family doctor has to go through the same amount of schooling as somebody that they can just send to, he thinks that specialized education should be treated differently than general practitioner education altogether. How do you feel about that? <clears throat> Are you saying like, uh, say you have an endocrinologist like you were talking about earlier, yeah. and that guy doesn't go through med school, and then he just goes straight into the endocrinology program? Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. About? Specialists have to go through the full thing, but general practitioners would not have to go through 12 years of school to be able to refer somebody that has also gone through 12 years of school. So I'm not sure if this person has the correct outlook on the level of education. And, and I could be, I could be off and, on what he's proposing to. And, and the pipeline because, uh, you know, a general practitioner, what makes them general practice is they need to be well-versed enough in a variety of different things to be able to at least narrow it down to a system. Right. Right? Um, it's kind of like a car mechanic. If you go to, you know, your local mechanic, he can work on Ford, Chevy, Chrysler, Dodge, whatever. And probably to a certain extent, foreign vehicles, exotic vehicles. Sure. But once you need that specialized, like, bump, you have somebody that's a, a general mechanic that can help you fix your car in your garage on the weekend mm -hmm. versus somebody that's a general mechanic and then went to a program specifically designed to take care of Lamborghinis. Okay. It's kind of the same thing. Like uh, these general practitioners, they're, they're designed to weed out the small stuff. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they need to have this like wide base of information. Once you get on to a specialist level, you're, you're trusting that the general practitioner has, like, gotten rid of all of that extra stuff, okay. right? Yeah. Um, and narrowed it down to, like, well, okay, it is a cardiovascular problem or it is a renal problem, and I'm going to refer you to a nephrologist or whatever. And then that is, like, the, all that guy does is eat, sleep, breathe, or that woman does is deal with that one system. Okay. And they're, they're trusting that the general practitioner or the family care provider has done all the legwork to rule everything else out. Right. Okay. I, I'll have to get more versed on what he's proposing, but his idea is that with the way that the medical industry is moving, if doctors start to get paid less, then there's no incentivizing to go for long-term schooling. So his primary focus is how do we condense the schooling to be more effective for your specific area? Do you feel like you need all of those years to be special or to go into what you're going into? Um, that's a good question, and I can't accurately answer that uh, because I have a lot of prior experience in medicine, mm -hmm. but... I'm nowhere near a nurse practitioner level or a doctorate level. And without having gone through the process, I don't, I couldn't tell you. Okay. That's I fair think, enough. uh, 
in order to get a real answer on that, you'd have to ask somebody that's been through the process and see what they thought was unnecessary. I'd really like to talk to like an administrator of a hospital just to see what they're like. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I'm, I would imagine that they're so business focused that they're up their own ass all the time. Like they probably don't even make a correlation between the people that, well, I'm sure there's some level of PR, but deep down, I'm sure some of them just care about the money. Yeah. It also depends on the organization you work for. You know, if you're working for an organization like Shriners, which is a nonprofit hospital, mm -hmm. uh, that's what I that, prefer. That's yeah. the, your administrator is going to be an entirely different role than somebody at uh, say the university hospital or any one of your major research hospitals where the goal is to keep keep income coming in to fund the research to keep things moving forward gotcha. right um, or a not-for-profit hospital which is uh, any profit they do make just goes back into the organization to expand the organization right okay yeah so uh, technically, like the hospital's not making a profit because they're just building more hospitals with the income that they've made. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, the administrators at those three different types of institutions are going to be completely different from one another. Right. Okay. Yeah, I noticed that uh, IMC especially operates very differently at different hospitals. When I was working at VASA, we did, um, we did like memberships for corporations but instead of just going to ime or imc all to get like just one person you had to go to the administrators of every hospital right because they were operated on their own books or something yeah and that's because it's a not-for-profit institution okay so like every amount of every single dollar that's made that's cons would be considered profit for LDS hospital mm -hmm. goes back into like upgrading equipment at that hospital or like maintenance work or whatever have you. Yeah. And so uh, that's why the, the administrators are all different. You have like obviously a corporate administrator, which would be, I don't know, well, like I don't know where they would even work, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the way that works with IMC. Okay. Is that, that to the best of my knowledge, they have very good. I noticed they have very good relationships with other hospital networks too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Colorado. I, I I was working on a deal in Colorado with this huge network, and they actually knew the executives of IME or IMC. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of shocking to me. I didn't know it was such a close knit community at the top. Like. Yeah. I'm sure there's all sorts of committees and. Who knows what else, but it's a big business, man. Well, um, you need that kind of networking, too, because uh, the tri, well, not just insurance, but the Tri-State um, Trauma One Center is here in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that type of networking and a good flow across those boundaries, if you get somebody that's seriously injured in Colorado. Yeah. And they're stabilized in Colorado, but then they need to be brought here for more specialized care. Mm -hmm. You you need to have that worked out so right. it's not a clusterfuck. Okay. Right? Yeah. So um, that's probably one of the big reasons why they network the way they do. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, it's insane how many hospitals there are. You don't realize it until you start looking into it, but they're everywhere. Yeah. They're everywhere. But it's better to have them everywhere than just to have one. So yeah. it's it's actually, you know, 
even if you have your negative outlook on the medical industry, it's like seriously in a, like a miracle that we're at where we're at, where we can extend the life of somebody by decades. Yeah, with and that's modern a, medicine. That's a that's a different can of worms altogether. You know, like you're talking about the extension of life and. At that point, you really have to weigh the ethical question of, like, quantity versus quality. Sure. You know, um, if you have somebody that is in stage 5 renal failure and they've been on the transplant list for 10 years and they're, like, there's, because of their previous medical history, they're unlikely to get a new transplant. Right. And they've just been being kept alive by going to dialysis three times a week for four hours a each time right what kind of quality of life is that you know well that's yeah that's how my dad's been like uh he was on the he 10 years he's waiting he went to dialysis i think he thought it was over like it was just in his head that he just thought never gonna get it yeah so and when he did it was like you know it's like you're getting sent to the gallows or something and then the, they just cut the rope off and say get out of here yeah, and and with people like your dad receiving a second transplant when the first one failed is an incredibly hard thing to accomplish because uh, one clarification I'll say is that the first one was donated from a family member, so that probably played Change. into why he got it on a national transplant list. Right, right. Um but the the fact that there's a previous failed transplant Increases the risk that this one will also fail. Right. God willing, it doesn't. But you know the the yeah. best indicator of the future is the past sort sure. of a deal. So I think, and a lot of it was they had almost no advice for him on his first transplant of how to how to take care of his body, like nutritionally. Like there, this the science wasn't as developed as it is now. Yeah. And now it seems like they got him in and out of the hospital in a week, and then. Like they, it seems like they're way more confident than they were the first time around. Um, but they had like six times where they called and they're like, we have a possible transplant. And they've had to drive down here. They do all the testing. They're like, nope, hmm. too risky. It had to be a hundred percent match. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a lucky, uh, lucky stroke, but yeah, for sure. And you know, the in and out of the hospital in a week thing that, that's a true miracle of modern medical science, you know, like keeping somebody alive. We can put everyone on a ventilator right after they pass and like a pacemaker and stuff like that. And technically they will be alive yeah. for indefinitely. But, um, you know, to get somebody through a major procedure like an organ transplant and have them out of the hospital without infection in under a week is just that's an incredible thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think. Like, and maybe it's just me and my perspective now, but if something like if I was 70 ish or, and I got something terrible, I don't even know that I would pursue going after it just because my personal belief is I don't want to spend years in hospitals, years hooked up to things, years on medicine. Right. Um, to me, it's like quality of, if I could live 60 years of a quality life of doing what I want to do and instead of, you know, instead of living a hundred years and being hooked up, like I'll die 40 years earlier. Yeah. 
that's my personal and i maybe that's selfish of me because like all my family members and stuff but what kind of quality of life is that well okay so you have to also take into consideration like uh um how much resources you're sucking up from another person that right could be younger that may need them you know like yeah. that that 20 year old kid that got in a car accident and went into hypovolemic shock before they were able to get him into the hospital and now he's got a bunch of organ problems because of the lack of circulation that he had for like 20 minutes right right so you know there it's it's a big weight weighty game and i'm kind of on the same side as you like if i'm older than 60 65 you know, I'll I'll just roll the dice and see how long I go. Um, because in my mind, I have that back there. Like, is there somebody else out there that needs this treatment that I'm going to drive the cost of this treatment up? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like my dad. My dad, I'm not even kidding when I say this. In the past 10 years, he's probably had 150 surgeries. Wow. As, like fistula, like ports everything and they kept closing up so they'd have to do it over and over and over again and about the seventh or eighth one i started getting involved and in saying if this keeps closing up is it like i would think it's a nutritional problem at, at, at some degree because my dad's diet's shit it's always been shit um but they just kept pumping in these surgeries pumping them one after another no change in the diet well this is where holistic medicine comes into play right and a lot of people hear that word and they don't think about uh, what it means. They think it means like uh, weird like crystals and essential oils and stuff. And that's not necessarily the case. Holistic medicine is the idea of treating somebody there in, as an entire person, examining every aspect of themselves, uh, diet, exercise, genetics, uh, emotional health, mental health, um, you know, physical health, and taking all of that into consideration and making a plan from there. Uh, Isn't that like what DOs focus on rather than MDs? Yes. Holistic medicine. That's what interests me. I think that's... And uh, so your dad having those issues was probably related to his diet, but not immediately within the last 10 years. It was the prior... 50. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's the build-up to that. Yeah. Over time. Like, okay. like uh, if you're pre-hypertensive in your 30s, you're not going to notice it. It's not going to bother you that much. Sure. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you when you hit 50 and you're, you're hypertensive, then, you know, it's, it's because you went 20 years without addressing the problem. Yeah. And I think it probably has a lot to do with when we're young, we're just always go, go, going. And we don't really take into account, like, things that add up later. Like, for me, like, s doing squats, to me, it's just, like, it's an exercise now, but later in life, it all adds up to joint pain, spine problems, you name it, man. Yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, I mean, as humans, I think we're kind of geared uh, to be more active and mobile and stuff when we're younger uh just evolutionarily yeah. speaking but uh with 
your like cardiac health and mm-hmm. stuff, the the best thing you can do is address any minor issue now, like because if you don't address, say, for instance, I went in back in I think August and they did some did a bunch of blood work up and stuff on me and my total cholesterol was just a bit high okay and they're like you know you're not in a danger zone yet but the doctor flat out looked at me and was like you need to address this now when you're you know 28 29 30 years old um and and get on top of it now because if you let it go 20 years from now when you're like almost 50 or getting up there that's when it's going to be a big problem because your body didn't regulate the way it was supposed to. I feel like that's how it was, uh, like stretching. Not enough people do stretching and they just do weightlifting. And now, like I've only been weightlifting five years, but I know now stretching so much more important than lifting weights is just from a longevity perspective. Right. Because I was to the point where I was you had the bulldog shoulders and, and stuff. like yeah it was bad and then i started focusing on doing long 30 second stretches the pectoral and like really made a huge difference but over time man if you don't address it as you go it just yeah it's 10 times more work later yeah and that's 10 times more expensive usually too yeah you so know yeah. regular oil changes is cheaper than replacing high, high mileage or yeah performance yeah well it's cheaper than having to replace like a drivetrain or something like that yeah it is interesting i think one thing that's really interesting to me is like athletic medicine is really interesting to me because it's like completely different yeah different caliber of what you're putting your body through yeah yeah especially professional athletes for sure that's what scared me away from physical therapy is i wanted to work with athletes but i was afraid i'd be working just with elderly all the time and for me personally as bad as that sounds like i can't do that for however long how for me like as a physical therapist i just didn't know if that's what i wanted to do when i really got down to it so well, you know, uh, going into to nursing and working towards my nurse practitioner and stuff, I, I don't want to work with geriatric people either. Mm-hmm. But the sheer reality of it is we have, like you mentioned earlier, we have people living l- longer Yeah. on average, just period. Like people are living a, a decade longer than they did 30 years ago. Right. You yeah. know? And then uh, we have also a growing population. Right. And so that that elderly population that needs care long or short term is just going to continue to grow. Right. Probably exponentially as science continues to advance. And so, like, yeah, you don't necessarily want to work with the elderly, but... As bad as this is going to sound, it is job security, yeah. right? You yeah. know, like, because yeah. people are going to get old. Sure. You know, I'm going to get old one day. And yeah, that's a good, that is a very good, that's a good point. Like, everyone does, like, someone has, someone has to do it. Right. Like, it, it's, it's part of the job. And I knew that going into physical therapy, 
and maybe it's something like I could spe- again it was just kind of a probably something when I was in security where I just talked myself out of it because I didn't want to deal with who knows man but in the end like someone does have to do it right and there are people that are willing to do it and there are people that are happy that people are willing to do it so that was weird that was my phone sorry no you're good um yeah and people have to be willing to do it especially in medicine you're not gonna you're not gonna get anywhere in in that field unless you're willing to uh put up with some bullshit well you know getting your foot in the door anywhere is like you're gonna have to do probably something you don't want to do initially and i mean we have uh gerontologists now which probably wasn't really even a thing back in the the 50s 60s and now we have people that are specifically dedicated as doctors for that elderly population. And that is, uh, you know, that's going to be steady, consistent work. And it's not what I want to do. And you can kind of chalk it up to a mild bit of, like, ageism, I guess, you know. Okay. like. But I think what it what it more more or less is is people don't like being confronted with the fact that they are too going to become old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not very I'm I'm not very old. I'm still a relatively young guy. I'm thirty, but my brain sometimes still thinks like it's twenty. You know, like. Oh yeah, I can go on a 16-mile run through the the canyons and be fine to wake up and go to work the next day. And it's like, yeah, nope. <laughs> but it's like not saying that you couldn't do it. It's just like, the recovery why? period. Uh, is yeah, longer. it's that, and it's like why put yourself through that to begin with now? Yeah, true. And um, you know, when I talk to different people. Uh, especially like my grandparents, mm-hmm. uh, they still, they tell me in their, their head, like they're 78, 79 years old. Yeah. And they're like, you know, mentally I feel sharp. I feel like I'm 30 years old. Right. So. It, that That's, I think that's what matters, the mental health. Yeah. And, and that, that, co- that cognition still being there. No one wants to face the fact that they're still cognitively sharp but physically they're they're just not at their prime anymore right. and people don't like that yeah that makes sense yeah yeah as population population growing it gets worse and there's more and more always going to be constantly going and the population population itself that's something I want to talk about. Uh, Cottonwood Heights, Midvale area. I've been living here for three years almost. And I have noticed, uh, I've seen it grow from, you know, a nice small little community, hardly any traffic, into over three years just being packed with more and more people. And the city deciding that it's, you know, okay to 
approve all of these low-income housing uh, projects. And uh, I don't know, man. I just think this low-income housing project in Cottonwood is is long-term not going to be a good thing. Uh, I've noticed the three years that I've been in this area, I've noticed the population significantly increase as far as the traffic backed up through stoplights, um, the, the amount of crime. It's It's gotten worse. And I don't know... At least from my perspective, being on the edge of Midvale, moving into Cottonwood, I feel like it's slowly pushing into Cottonwood. The the yeah, I I can see that to an extent. Uh, the reason the population is increasing so rapidly around here, though, is people are uh, immigrating here from other states where the cost of living is too high. Yeah. Uh, you know, and. You can't really tell people not to do that. Right. Um, and with that, you're going to, with a population increase, you're also going to get higher crime statistics because there's just more people to commit crime. Right. <laughs> is there so, is there a point where you'll reach where it's like, this is too many damn people? I'm, for, for me? For here, yeah. For, And I know you have obligations like your wife's family's here and everything, but is there a certain point where you'll reach where it's like, this is too many damn people? Um. I don't know. After living in San Diego for so many years, uh, I mean, that county is just like packed upon packed. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a lot of people, and that took some adjustment, but I, w- I was able to adjust to it and did relatively well with it. Uh, I, I think it's something that happens so gradually um that you're you just kind of adapt as it's happening sure and then you know like if i if i were to leave and come back 20 years from now and see like the population difference then i'd be like oh i don't want to live here but living in the middle of it while it's happening you just kind of learn how to adapt with that and i think last year we grew 12 percent statewide and i think well, the year before, 2017 and then 2018, I want to say it was 12 to 14%. Okay. So we're going up fast, and I think a lot of it's California people. That's a yeah. huge thing. A lot of people from California are moving over. Um, but, man, it's just getting ridiculous. It's getting like there's too many damn people. And, uh, you know, you have to deal with it. But yeah. I guess what – what uh, does it appeal to you more to stay in – around the city where it's easy to access everything or are you more like would move to Heber or park city if you could uh park city absolutely not okay. um Heber maybe uh or like eden or something uh i do like the ability to be close to two things but you know really as long as i have friends and my jobs within an hour away from me right i'm i'm fine yeah and uh my my biggest thing is I just I just want the mountains close, yeah. you know. So wherever yeah. I'm at, whether that's Canada, here, South America, you know, those those three c- criterias are like my creature comforts. You know, I don't need them to survive, but that's what I'd prefer to have. That was oh, the mountains are my favorite part of living here because I when I was unemployed for a while i would go just get coffee drive up in the mountains climb up a hill and just sit there yeah and there's something about doing that like getting away from the city and like clearing your head that's just Mm -hmm. 
it gives you a mental edge over everyone and no one no one really does that so if like you do that consistently like you go climbing you're out you're out in the outdoors it makes a huge mental difference like yeah yeah i think it does it's uh you know just exposure to that natural sunlight and that vitamin d synthesis and air quality the yeah the change of the air quality just by getting out of the city um man it goes and and the endorphins that get released as you're doing um cardiovascular exercise as well you know it's just uh it's it's a whole conglomeration of things but it does it, it makes a huge impact on on you i like uh american i i didn't know how deep american fort canyon went oh yeah how you drive all the way to provo through there i did that one time Man, yeah it's the prettiest drive but yeah it's a it's, long drive yeah there's some really good climbing down in there too mm. yeah it's really pretty i went up there in fall two years ago but uh yeah i would love to have like those hillside when you're driving through the canyon how you see the hillside houses that's like my dream right there oh yeah that's my that's my dream right there. Just be away from pe not be secluded, but personal space is very important to me. Yeah, I think too many people think like you though. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff like that's gonna get swept up and then we won't have that anymore. And I don't know, like in that sense I'm kind of an obstructionist. I don't want people fucking up the side of my mountain. Yeah. Uh, not that it's like mine specifically, but I don't want people fucking up the side of the mountain to have this excellent view of the city lights while being semi secluded from everybody and close enough to like interact with people and wanting to be around the wilderness, you know, let me refer, I guess my idea, like if you go into AF Canyon, before you get in the Canyon, you have those like plateaus. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm talking about. I'm not talking I'm talking like, right. So you can be in the mountains essentially but you're kind of in front of them that's okay. my that's my dream okay just close enough to the mountains where i can walk if i wanted to like right go on a hike right. if i wanted to right and a big thing i want to i got to thinking about this a lot i would love to be able to not use my car as much to be able to walk everywhere mm-hmm. actually sounds appealing to me the older i get yeah you know and the funny part about that is is in order to accomplish that you have to live in a city very true yeah Absolutely. Like, you know, you can't have it both ways. I might so, try tracks. I, I've never really done tracks, but it's cheap as hell. It's like a dollar fifty to go anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the the only time I was able to walk uh every day and get what I needed was when I was in these huge metropolitan areas like Chicago, right. um, Kiev, Ukraine, uh New York, places like that, you know, like you just have to be downtown. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then you can walk wherever you want and get whatever you need that way. But then you're also surrounded by 10 million people. Yeah. Plus. Yeah. It's really just the, you have to almost become a part of that. Like you do have to become a part of it because living in a city and being like secluded, if you're not going out and doing stuff, it can wear on you. For sure. It can wear on you. Like, yeah. Just when, the when, amount of people. When I was in Chicago, like, just for the just for the sake of it, you know, I used to go down to Millennium Park and start at Millennium Park and just walk the Magnificent Mile back and forth up Michigan Ave uh, all day, pretty much, just for the sake of being out of the house, yeah. you know? 
yeah, that's kind of how I'm getting now. Like, I can sit down and play video games for a bit, but for the most part, like, I need to be out of my head. Like, if if I'm to get myself out of my head, I have to be physically engaged somehow. So, right. try to. Right. Um, yeah, have you been back to the climbing gym lately? Uh, no, I've been going outside now that the weather's better. Really? Yeah. Um, got a couple of people that are hitting exterior cliffs pretty consistently with me. Hell yeah. Um, so right now I'm just waiting for it to thaw out a little bit higher up and uh, hopefully um, that won't take too long. Hopefully by the middle of July I'll be able to get up to like Devil's Castle again and Hellgate. Uh, that's where I really want to be, but right now I'll settle settle for the lower stuff. Um, tomorrow I don't know where we're going to go exactly. I'm going to see where the snow line is and go from there. Apparently we're supposed to get rain in like four or five days. How do you feel about that? It upsets me. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I just want to go outside. As long as it doesn't snow, though, I'll take the rain. Well... Like I said, I'm waiting for that thaw to hit so I can get up higher in the mountains, uh, get up above 11,000 11, feet, and uh, that can't happen until it stops raining. And that probably helps your endurance, too, climbing at that elevation, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the issue is, though, is it's a 25-degree swing from where we're sitting right now to that elevation. So if it's 50 degrees down here and raining... It's 25 degrees up there and snowing, you know. Yeah. So uh, even though, like, you, it, it could be July and 60 down here, if it right. rains, it's going to snow up there, period. Yep. Yeah, it's just the beauty of living in Utah, man. Um, I, so I can uh, see why you like San Diego for that reason. Yeah, that that's about the one thing I miss from San Diego the most is uh, – First of all, my friends from down there, and then uh, the the Buddhist temple and sangha that attended that temple, and then third on my list is the consistency of the weather. Okay. So those those were like my top three things from okay. living down there. What do you think about like suburb Las Vegas? Um, away from the away from the city. I'm away from like, the strip. Like I'm talking residential Vegas, where you like have north the or south Vegas yes. outside of the city. Yep. Um, there's some good climbing around there. I wouldn't be opposed to it. The last time I tried to go climbing down at Red Rocks, though, it it did wind up snowing at Red Rocks. <laughs> of course. Uh, it was it was, and again, it was the same thing. It was uh, it was raining in Vegas, and it was snowing up in in Red Rocks, and I was like, well. The, is there anything else around here? And there's some limestone features, I think, uh, kind of like south by southwest of this of the strip. Um, but the ground soaked up all the water and it made it unclimbable. So it's a weird thing about Vegas. I always thought of it as just like a party city or a light city, but you never. I didn't. I never realized there was such a vast mountain range right next to Vegas. Oh yeah, yeah. No clue. I thought it was just flat desert. And then there's the Valley of Fire and. Yeah, yeah, it's really pretty down there. Like, there's all sorts of Utah, Idaho, Nevada. All of these surrounding states have really pretty, uh, just outdoor sites, national parks. Most of us refer to that as the Intermountain West, Caden. Intermountain West. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm Montana. A new to this. Yeah, Montana, Wyoming, 
Idaho, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, I haven't Colorado. Been Montana very much. Montana doesn't interest me a ton. That's unfortunate. It's on the same scale as Wyoming to me. Mostly because of the big meth problem and I don't know about recreationally things to do outside, but from being to Missoula and Helena, I just see like the cities disintegrating and it's You need to go up to Kalispell. Kalispell? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd go out to Kalispell. Out around Flathead Lake, uh, up near Glacier National Park. Might want to hit that one up before that glacier's gone. Um, tons of stuff. Tons of outdoor stuff. You know, so much room for activities. So many activities. So uh, many. Uh, like, I want to do Have you uh, Mount Bora. You know of Mount Bora? Mm-mm. It's the tallest mountain in Idaho. Um, but Okay, yeah, I have a fr- friend that's probably going to hit that up. They, okay. Every summer they try to do... Uh, uh, how many other weeks of summer she has. She's a teacher, so okay. uh, she takes her break, and she tries to do the tallest summits um, in that many states okay. for those weeks. I so want to like say it's about on par with Timpanogos. Okay. I think it takes between 8 and 12 hours. Okay. Um, but there's a spot called Chicken Out Ridge, which is about this wide, about two and a half, three feet somewhere in that area and it's just drop off on both sides and people have died going across that why uh just because there's no railing or anything it's just drop off well is it rounded or is it flat i think it's like flat but like rocky it's still it's kind of like hunched okay so it's like wildcat ridge here yeah i'm wildcat traverse yeah i can pull up a picture but apparently people have died on it and or lions back down in moab Okay. Um, yeah, that that kind of stuff doesn't concern me that much, you know. Um, I'd be willing to do it. Yeah. So it's, I think it's... I the, really... I think it's that ridge. You walk up the ridge that... Okay, yeah. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've been on stuff like that before. Okay. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, it doesn't... That really doesn't scare me a lot when when you actually see it, but when they talk about it, it's... Well... The thing is, is, pictures like that don't do it justice. Like, if you go to Castleton Tower down in Moab, you can get a picture. That's better. That's a better representation. Yeah. So you can get a picture of the trail going up to Castleton Tower down in Moab that looks almost like any one of those pictures you just pulled up. Uh-huh. But actually being on the trail is completely different. Um, it is really steep and really narrow, okay. you know. So... Um, but totally worth it. I have to check that one out. I want to do more high. I want to do Timpanogos. I always wanted. To, I wanted to do Timpanogos. You for need like to start climbing year. with me. I know. I know. I do. I need to get outdoor climbing uh, because the gym, like the gym's cool, but it keeps really, you in shape. It does keep you in shape, but to me, the amount that I climb, it's probably cheaper for me to just buy them monthly, buy the pat, like buy the pass as I go. Like the punch card thing, or. Because it's like $20 each time to get in, right? If you don't have a membership. Right. I'm not even going five times a month right now to justify the membership itself. Yeah. So I'm almost thinking if I go two times a month or three times a month, it would be way cheaper for me that well, way. Yeah, I see. And in, in the summer, I'm outside anyway. Yeah, that's and so. I figured the only reason I would go is if you went too. So I'm almost thinking just doing outdoor climbing and doing it that way. Yeah. Because really, 
the best way to get better at climbing is doing real climbing not not gym stuff even though the gym's beneficial i've learned you've taught me technique and and some of the things i need to fix but when it comes down to it climbing outside i know it's different yeah it is um the the biggest thing is is especially if you're in an area that's not climbed often is uh you get like um loose holds or stuff isn't chalked up so you can't see where the holds are you know okay yeah um it's just it's a whole different animal and you also get that aspect of being outside you know you can hear the running water of the the river close by and like birds and yeah you know so it's it uh, it's a more immersive experience and it's really nice yeah yeah it seems just being outside like we talked about before just being outside and doing that is is really good but cool man well yeah, we will. Uh, we're gonna continue cranking these babies out. Next time, we're gonna talk a, b- a little bit about um, North Korea because Caden here is afraid of World War Three happening. So I'm more afraid of of Iran. I'm more concerned with Iran. Okay. With the national, uh, I can't remember the national, the whatever army, Republic's army. Republic's Guard. Iran- Iranian Republican Guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever it the is. One that, the, the one that's essentially the one colonizing areas of the Middle East. Okay. But... Um, are they like the new ISIS? They are... They supposedly Iran, and I could be wrong, don't don't send this to CNN, um, but if, if I'm not mistaken, Iran has been the, the major sponsorship for a lot of these terrorist groups okay or promoting or funding and harboring stuff like a that. a lot of previous uh presidents rightfully so were concerned about making a drastic move like that because well we declared them to be terrorists and they did the same to us they had a parliament meeting where they burned the american flag and everyone cheered and uh so it's it's perpetuating tension between the Middle East and us again. Then we have North Korea to worry about. And Iran's one of Iran's biggest allies is Russia. So that's something we have to take into account. It's just, it reminds me so much of the history of World War One, where the whole world is just in tension and one thing could just set it off. But we'll get into it more later. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. There's episode two for you motherfuckers. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time.